Hello, and welcome back to the Whatever Podcast with your knowledgeable knockout of a host, Charlie Stone. I'm so glad that you've decided to join me yet again for another episode. I hope you liked the last episode. I like doing research about the mythical and mysterious creatures from West Virginia. Um, I'm real into cryptids and cryptozoology, if you couldn't tell already. So there will be more episodes in the future about cryptids and stuff. Uh, I've also noticed that the episodes about Bigfoot and the first part of the West Virginia episodes have done the best. Um, uh, Numbers-wise, downloads-wise. So... Yeah, I'm definitely going to do more cryptid episodes. Uh, Once again, I am in my laundry room with um, earbuds. So excuse me for the audio quality. I hope you can bear with me. Uh, This episode is going to be shorter uh, just because there's a lot of research about this week's topic. And I'm sorry I didn't upload last week. I was on a vacation. Yeah, so I'm going to break this one into multiple parts because there are a lot of things that go into this one. Uh, This week's episode will be uh, decidedly more real than the cryptid episodes, and what what I'm going to be talking about is corruption within the American government system in history. Uh, Now, before we get into it, I would like to clarify a few things. Uh, Number one, I'm not political. I don't subscribe to any political ideology. I've never been that interested in politics. I'm not a Democrat or a Republican. I do tend to lean more left than right politically, according to the uh, political compass test. And I do believe in individual freedoms and rights. Um, I also believe that both Democrats and Republicans in the American governmental system can be corrupt, self-serving egomaniacs. On the other side of that coin, some people run for government to help the people they intend to serve, and they are who will save this country if they do not end up like so many people before who were bought by the man. So if you don't like politics and you believe that the American government has never done anything wrong, uh, this episode might not be for you. If that's the case, uh, I'll see you next episode, and I hope you have a good one. Uh, the second thing is, I won't be discussing the public acts that the government has been involved with that everyone knows about. You probably weren't taught these things in school, but they have been publicized in some way. Uh, these things include the Native American Trail of Tears, the American internment camps full of Japanese immigrants during World War II, also known as Executive Order 9066, or the wide treatment of African Americans during the Civil Rights Movement of the 1950s and 60s. Of course. These things perpetrated against non-white people in America weren't great, but what I'll be focusing on are the things the government did which were secret until files and records were released to the American public. Uh, I already said this, but much like the last episode, this episode isn't going to be all of the terrible things the government has done to the American public, but it's the things that I personally find to be the most interesting. Uh, These things aren't conspiracy theories, they are government operations which have been kept secret, but in some way have been leaked to the public. I will also refrain from talking about the stuff the U.S. has done to other countries, because that could be a whole other episode. Now, to clarify, 
I don't hate America, although some people who listen to this episode may believe that I do because I disagree with the reprehensible actions that people in power thought were good ideas. Other countries struggle to feed and care for their people just like ours, and some countries have it worse, with dictators, mass killings, and little to no law and order. So, America's not the worst country to live in by far. I actually don't know too much about how other countries do things, since I haven't spent extensive time anywhere else except for Belgium, Uh, and Belgium also has a pretty rough history like most countries that have been around for a while. Um, With all that out of the way, let's get into the episode, and I'm sorry for that lengthy diatribe. Uh, We'll be going in what I hope is chronological order, but some things overlap, so there'll be some exceptions to this rule. Like I said, I'm breaking this up into multiple parts, so this one is just two that I've found. Um, And when this one is done, I will be working on the next one. Sound good? Okay. Uh, We'll start in 1932 in Macon County, Alabama. The U.S. Public Health Service, or the PHS, was interested in studying the effects of syphilis on black men. Now, One thing to note is that the effects of syphilis had already been studied in white men, but health officials, living in the time before the civil rights movement and social reform, had some ideas about how different races would be affected by the same disease. Now, shockingly, there's not really a difference, because we're basically all the same on the inside. A major revelation, I know. Uh, Their theory was that black men were more powerful than white men, so the disease would attack their cardiovascular systems, but that white men were smarter, so the disease would attack their brains. Again, that is the theory of, um, you know, ingrained racism in the 1930s and 40s. That is not true, first of all, and it's not, it's not a great theory. Uh, the experiment was called Tuskegee because it was c- conducted near the Tuskegee Institute, or as it is now called, Tuskegee University. Interestingly enough, Booker T. Washington, a famous black educator, speaker, and advisor to several presidents, served as Tuskegee University's first teacher. I just think that it's ironic that an influential black man taught at the place we're going to discover was doing terrible things from 1932 all the way until 1972 to black men. According to the CDC's website, a large portion of the African-American population of Macon County was suffering from untreated syphilis, and they wanted to see what would happen. The Public Health Service came in force to Macon County and got a group of infected men and a control group of uninfected men and began their study. They offered free health care, free meals, and free burial to men who signed up for the study, but they didn't tell them what they were doing. All they told the men was that they had quote-unquote bad blood which was a vague term for a number of sicknesses. While the PHS did offer free medical care for other stuff, they never offered care for syphilis they were tracking, and it began affecting the population. But what is syphilis? Syphilis is a sexually transmitted disease, or an STD, which was much more deadly during the days before widely available antibiotics, which we'll talk about later. The symptoms of syphilis are pretty gross, and I'll leave out the worst ones because this is a family show. Uh, But it starts with a sore around the area of infection, and then it starts to spread. This can mean sores around the body, rashes, sore throat, and even hair loss. 
If syphilis goes untreated for too long, it could become more serious and spread to worse parts of the body, such as the eyes, ears, and brain. Syphilis can cause you to go insane, like the famous gangster Al Capone, who died of the disease at just 48 years old. It can also cause some parts of the body to rot and collapse, like the bridge of the nose, and some parts of the mouth, uh, which is so gross, and I don't even really like thinking about that. Uh, <laughs> uh, all in all, it's a pretty scary disease. Luckily, thanks to modern medicine, syphilis is much less serious than it used to be. In 1928, penicillin was discovered to have properties which were just deadly to harmful bacteria. And by 1943, penicillin was the drug of choice to treat syphilis. However, because news was less widespread back in the day than it is now, people in Macon County, Alabama had no idea this was the case. The doctors offering them free health care knew, but they also knew that penicillin would interfere with their test results, so the people continued not to be treated. By this time, many people had died, and the men in the study had unwittingly spread the disease to their wives and through them, their unborn children. Now, syphilis is bad for grown people, but it is catastrophic for fetuses. Less than half of babies infected with syphilis while still in the womb are stillborn, but those who make it have serious health complications, according to the CDC. Speaking of the free health care offered to the men in the study, there were some weird things happening there too. Several men were subjected to painful spinal taps, which let them, left them bedridden for days after. Some sources I found claimed that there was no reason for these painful procedures, but others said that the doctors were testing for neurosyphilis, which starts in or affects the nervous system, I, I guess. I don't know. Uh, the study went on for years. The beginning of the end had happened uh, in the 1960s when Peter Buxton, a scientist for the PHS, overheard his colleagues talking about Tuskegee. He researched the project and discovered the unethical practices and inhumane treatment of human beings in Alabama. Buxton decided that this needed to stop, so he went to his higher-ups to talk about it, but was constantly dismissed. He kept trying, even though he was fired or he quit. I can't seem to find out which. He caught a break in 1972 when he was talking with a friend who just so happened to be a reporter. Then she passed on the story to Gene Heller of the Associated Press, who broke the story. When the shady practices were thrust into the light, the PHS had to address them. It wouldn't be a good look for them to keep going with the experiments. So, in 1972 uh, or 1973, the project was shut down, and the families of the men who were experimented on were awarded compensation of somewhere around $10 million. From then on, less shady medical practices were enforced, and the PHS was forced to take into account that everyone they were treating was a human being. What a revolutionary idea. Finally, in 1997, Bill Clinton addressed the American public with an apology for Tuskegee experiments and the promise to do better. Thanks to the experiments, African Americans had a lingering distrust of the American healthcare system, which resulted in a higher African American mortality rate. Treating people with different skin colors differently has been a theme throughout American and world history, but that doesn't mean it's right. I don't think I need to put too much stress on this point, as I think most of my listeners are decent people who understand that being unkind to people for something that they can't control isn't cool. Now please remember that. Okay. Uh, subject 2. World War II started around the time that the Tuskegee experiments were going on, and that's where our next subject begins. 
As most people know, Germany was one of the most powerful countries in the world at this time, thanks to Adolf Hitler and his Nazi regime. Eventually, after countless lives were lost, Hitler was defeated and the Nazis were brought to task. At least, most of them were. Some members of the Nazi party saw the end coming and managed to escape to countries in South America, most notably Argentina, where they lived the rest of their lives in secret. Some surrendered willingly to the Allies, and some, like Adolf Hitler, chose to end their own lives instead of being captured. There was a secret option, however, that many scientists allied with the Nazis were given by the U.S. During the war, America and Russia had become uneasy allies to make sure that Germany didn't take over the planet. As the war was wrapping up, however, the shaky peace between the two superpowers was being called into question. The Americans and Russians began engaging in a race to see who could build the better weapons faster. This race would eventually involve, evolve into the time of paranoia and anti-communist sympathies in the U.S. called the Cold War. During this Cold War, everyone was uncertain if Russia or the U.S. would strike first, leading to total nuclear devastation. But I'm getting ahead of myself. The way that it started was when Germany was being pushed back and people were more focused on the Japanese, the other part of the Axis powers. American and Russian soldiers were sent to Germany to quote-unquote recruit German soldiers to work with them to create bigger, badder weapons. The Russians got a few thousand scientists, as did America, but there was a problem with the American way of doing things. Operation Overcast, as the action was originally called, was approved by President Harry Truman under the condition that no Nazi sympathizers were allowed access. But, of course, this is not a podcast about things America did that were acceptable and legal, so the people in charge of Operation Overcast, the U.S. State War Navy Coordinating Committee, or SWNCC, decided that ethics were less important than results, so they completely ignored President Truman's conditions. Because some information was leaked, Operation Overcast had to be renamed, and the codename the SWNCC chose was Operation Paperclip. This was because the dossiers containing the most highly sought-after Nazi scientists were marked with a paperclip, according to airandspaceforces.com. Most notably, Werner von Braun, one of the fathers of the American space program and a chief engineer of the Saturn V rocket, had ties to the SS, Hitler's military police force. Von Braun was an engineer during wartime and was approached by Hitler's regime to make weapons for Germany, and since saying no may have been a death sentence, von Braun went along with it. He was commissioned to create weapons, but he's best known for the creation of the V-2 rocket, which was the first guided ballistic missile, which was responsible for thousands of deaths. Even worse, Hitler had ingrained free labor in camps full of political prisoners, Jews, and other people he deemed undesirable. In 1945, Japan surrendered, ending the Second World War thanks to advances in nuclear weaponry, which I don't think Operation Paperclip had a hand in, but I could be wrong. Because the war was over, the winners of the war, the Allied powers, decided to have a series of trials for war criminals uh, and organizations linked to war crimes, such as the Gestapo and the SS. There would have been more people standing trial, but they were in America, conceptualizing and building weapons and rockets to beat the Soviets. The problem many people have with Operation Paperclip is that Nazi scientists were... they never faced justice for their crimes, and many of them simply blended in with, the, with American society. I skipped over something, didn't I? Yeah. Uh, when I said even worse, Hitler had ingrained 
free labor in camps full of political prisoners, Jews, and other people he deemed undesirable. I meant to say that Von Braun has faced scrutiny um, since people found out that he was an SS sympathizer because he used the free labor in the camps to build his V-2 rockets. Now, studies have shown that Von Braun was not maliciously doing this. He often treated the prisoners like people and made sure that they had, you know, what they needed to survive. But he was still working with Hitler to create weapons. So that's, it's not great. <laughs> um, the SWNCC made sure that all of their scientists had fake papers and backstories to make sure they would never have to face justice. Some did, however. In 1947, there was another trial for Nazi war criminals, specifically those associated with the Dachau concentration camp, which I've been to. It is, it is a depressing place, uh, to say the least. There is a, there's a blanket of sadness that lays over the whole camp, and to see those monuments and the church and the graves, it's, it's a lot. Um, it really makes you think. Uh, one of the men indicted for slave labor and helping with executions was Georg Rickey, who had been in America since 1945, helping with the Air Force in Ohio. So, confirmed Nazi war criminals were recruited by the U.S. to help build weapons of mass destruction. Uh, if one of these men were indicted, it makes me wonder how many weren't. How many Nazi scumbags were able to slip through the cracks because of the U.S. government and were never brought to justice? Shouldn't America, the fighters for liberty and the force partially responsible for taking down Germany, be more worried about Nazis on their home turf? When I think about this, I, I do get steamed, and many people at the time were too. It was not a unanimous decision to undercut the president and bring war criminals to America, but it happened anyway. As we've already discussed, Operation Paperclip was enacted because without American forces scooping up these scientists, the Russians would have gotten to them first and then would have done something with them. The paranoia that Russia was definitely going to do something with them is not completely out of the question, since Russia had been known to do some pretty dodgy stuff, lately very dodgy, if you know what's going on in Russia and Ukraine, but was the threat big enough to compromise the morals of America? Maybe. Is this stuff above my pay grade? Uh, the answer is definitely. I know nothing about international politics, and I wouldn't be able to make the call. Um, so that's it for this episode. Let me know if you like this new episode length. If you don't want to hear me talking for 45 minutes, maybe 20-ish is better for you. Um, make sure to leave me a comment and a rating on Apple Podcasts. That really helps the show. Uh, and I would love to see what you guys have to say uh, about the podcast. If you do have um, episode recommendations that I do, uh, email me at charlesstone075 at gmail.com. Uh, and I will read all those emails. Also, you can leave a suggestion in the comments on Apple Podcasts. I would love to read all of those. Um, until the next episode, it's whatever. Have a great week.